This week on the 10A Podcast, Burning Out with Dina Kale. The gallows humor is how we cope. It's in the quiet that I remember them and they, they haunt me. Thanks to Killjoy, I really didn't want to remember that right now. I do think therapy is for everybody. Not every therapist is a great therapist. That's really disturbing. Instead of this sad, low energy, it was this, come at me, bro. Like I was, somebody, please give me a reason to hit you. All of you motherfuckers need to sit down and quit laughing right now. The world needs to stop. You have no idea what stress is. This is nothing. If we could create the perfect storm for burnout, we just did it in the last two years. The views and opinions expressed on the 108 podcast are those of the authors and guests individually. The 108 podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not affiliated with any entity, agency, or department. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome, friends, to episode 307 of the 108 podcast. Today's episode is called Burning Out. With Dina Kale. This is such an important topic that we run into all too frequently in law enforcement, and I think it has a lot to do with how we approach our careers from day one out of the academy. In this episode, we also talk about trauma, trauma response, which is definitely a very important topic because I believe it leads to burnout at such a quicker rate. And we also have a few other topics mixed in there as well regarding career survival. So stay tuned. We're going to talk about all that in just a minute. But before we get too far into it, we have to go ahead and shout out our sponsors. So let's go ahead and do that. Listen, it's no surprise to anyone that law enforcement agencies suck at getting the word out to their citizens they serve. Whether it's debriefing a critical incident or educating the public about various aspects of law enforcement, it takes a special skill set that too many in law enforcement don't have. In this ever-changing world of social media, do you, your agency, and your community a favor and check out TOC Public Relations, a company ran by former law enforcement to help you get your message out in an appropriate and professional way. Check them out on social media as well as TOCPublicRelations.com. Let me tell you something you already know. Living a life in public service is a life of sacrifice, but you cannot serve the community or back your partner up if you're not physically able to do so. According to a report by the Wall Street Journal, more than 40% of law enforcement officers are obese. Other studies have found that police officers are 25% more likely to die from weight-related disorders like cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, and even some cancers. Why continue to be a liability to your partners, your loved ones, your community, and yourself? Contact the folks at fit.responders and get your fight back. This episode is also brought to you by my new friends over at RTI Training, giving the type of training that incorporates humor and knowledge that cops respond to. Listen, we all know that you will never retain anything thanks to death by PowerPoint. So do yourself a favor and check out the new kids on the block when it comes to police training. They are revelationstraining.com. And guys, I also want to tell you about our sponsor, Jiu-Jitsu 5.0. They just came out with the Jiu-Jitsu 5.0 app. It is the ultimate training tool for all law enforcement. Members of the app get on-demand access to a huge library of techniques for the streets, grappling-based workouts, yoga, and a monthly nutrition plan. They also have 24-hour, 7-day-a-week access to Jason, the founder of Jiu-Jitsu 5.0, for personalized training assistance. So, go to the app store of your choosing and download the Jiu-Jitsu 5.0 app today. It's available for Android as well as Apple, so get on it now. 
And last but not least, this episode is brought to you by Thin Vine Wines. Thin Vine Wines is a mission-driven wine company that proudly backs first responders and the military. With a background in law enforcement, their support for police, dispatch, fire, and the military is unwavering. Thin Vine Wines donates $2 from every bottle sold to law enforcement and military-driven nonprofits. Making awesome wine is the vehicle. Making wine with a purpose is the mission. Check out their social medias at Thin Vine Wines on Instagram and Facebook and order online at thinvine.wine using the code 10-8-T-E-N, the number 8, for $10 off two or more bottles of wine. It's a marathon, not a sprint. How many times do we hear that? What about, if we don't get them today, we'll get them tomorrow? All these sayings are trite. We hear them from the Academy day one. But do we really listen? Not really. I, I know that I didn't, especially the first one. There were many times in my career that I would work 24 hours straight. I would work 12 hours of regular duty and then 12 hours of overtime. That actually, at times, wasn't that infrequent. I would also work weeks straight without taking a day off. And, and why would I do that? Why did I put so much effort into work and why did I not value my time off? Well, one of the main things was money. I was making way more money than I ever had before. I was paying for trips. I was paying for things I wanted. But also, it was to occupy my time so I wouldn't be alone, bored, get in trouble, whatever. You know, at the time, for a long time, I was single. And then when I had a girlfriend, she was long distance and I was feeling lonely. So I would work, you know, and, and kind of an idle mind is the devil's plaything. That was my mentality and I also you know I kind of justified it by saying well I work hard but I play harder and I would go on trips and I would do this but really was that enough to replenish what I had already spent doing copious amounts of work now as my relationship got more serious I started to cherish my time off more also when I was working as a detective and having non-optional overtime it also kind of made me want to say no thank you to when it was more frequent but you know I I still worked and I still worked a lot. And I guarantee you all that overworking myself definitely attributed to my overall burnout. And the replenishing that I would do was never enough. And it would just always kind of refill the glass, but not to the tippy top. And it just became overwhelming over time. That on top of all the other shit that I ended up dealing with led me to leaving the job. And now as I look at my career in a new light, right, I've, I've made the transition to a new career I'm way more hesitant to say yes to nonstop overtime. My dad had a saying. He stole it from a very old poem. In 1920, Edna St. Vincent Millay wrote a poem called The First Fig. It goes like this. My candle burns at both ends. It will not last the night. But ah, my foes and oh, my friends, it gives a lovely light. Which as a whole is exactly what I did. And I caution all of you overtime whores out there, do not be like me. Do not burn your candle at both ends. Don't have your cake and eat it too. Enjoy your time off. Replenish that, that vessel that you are and recover. You need to. You cannot burn out because once you burn all the way out, it is hard to get back to where you were. If you want to run and gun while you have the energy, I totally understand but do it in spurts. I promise you, you will appreciate it longer. That's how we get these busted old guys who have 27 years on, won't retire, 
won't do anything. They just take up a spot, and it's like, man, just make a traffic stop. Well, no, he did, and this isn't all of them, but he did them when he was in the beginning of his career. Now he doesn't want to do shit. And as I've talked about a lot on the Instagram through the memes, when you do a lot of shit, you tend to get in a lot more trouble because for some reason they they punish trying to go above and beyond and they don't punish mediocrity. All that, right? All that kind of festers in your mind and it leads to the burnout. And as my conversation with Dina in just a moment, we are going to talk about this burnout and so much more. Now, before we get into that, I want to do a little self-assessment. Now, I received this from one of my followers who is a counselor that works with the police. He also has patch traded with me, and he's been a huge supporter of my page and my merchandise and my podcast and all that. So we're going to go through this assessment together. So because this came from a mental health professional, I first want to give a disclaimer because as someone who is currently studying to become a mental health professional, I don't want to do anything unethical before I even have a career. So please bear with me as I read this disclaimer. The following content is not considered medical advice for any reason and nothing in it is intended to provide or act as a substitute for mental health treatment. You as a listener understand that I am not a licensed mental health professional and that none of this is to be considered as therapy or the like. You, by listening to the following content, does not make you a patient or a client and no therapist-patient or coach-client relationship is being formed. Thus, no anonymity or confidentiality is forsaken. Now, all that being said, this is not that serious, folks, right? Uh, This is just information for you to take in. Do with it what you will and go on from there. Same thing when when Dina gets on in just a moment. Same thing. These are not clinical assessments. These are just things to get your mind going. That's what a podcast is about. Don't make it weird. Don't make it unethical. Here we go. So this is called the Professional Quality of Life Scale. When you help people, you have direct contact with their lives. As you may have found, your compassion for those you help can affect you in a positive and a negative way. The following are some questions about your experiences, both positive and negative, as a helper. Consider each of the following questions about you and your current work situation. You're going to select a number that reflects how frequently you've experienced these things within the last 30 days. Now, again, this is a self-assessment. So if you want to play along, cool. Grab a sheet of paper. It's probably the best way to keep track of it. And you're going to rate the following one to five. One will be it's never happened. Five is very often. And then a scale in between. Two is rarely. Three is sometimes. Four is often. Five very often. Okay, so we have some questions. We have 30 questions. In the last 30 days. Here we go. One, I am happy. Two, I am preoccupied with more than one person I help. Three, I get satisfaction from being able to help people. Four, I feel connected to others. Five, I jump or am startled by unexpected sounds. Six, I feel invigorated after working with those I help. Seven, I find it difficult to separate my personal life from my life as a helper. Eight, I am not as productive at work because I am losing sleep over traumatic experiences of a person I have helped. 9. I think that I might have been affected by a traumatic stress of those I help. 10. I feel trapped 
by my job as a helper. 11. Because of my helping, I have felt on edge about various things. Number 12. I like my work as a helper. Number 13. I feel depressed because of the traumatic experiences of the people I help. Number 14. I feel as though I am experiencing the trauma of someone I have helped. Number 15. I have beliefs that sustain me. Number 16. I am pleased with how I am able to keep up with helping techniques and protocols. Number 17. I am the person I always wanted to be. Number 18. My work makes me feel satisfied. Number 19. I feel worn out because of my work as a helper. Number 20. I have happy thoughts and feelings about those I help and how I could have helped them. Number 21. I feel overwhelmed because my case workload seems endless. Number 22. I believe I can make a difference through my work. Number 23. I avoid certain activities or situations because they remind me of frightening experiences of the people I help. Number 24. I am proud of what I can do to help. Number 25. As a result of my helping, I have intrusive, frightening thoughts. Number 26. I feel bogged down by the system. Number 27. I have thoughts that I am a success as a helper. Number 28. I cannot recall important parts of my work with trauma victims. Number 29. I am a very caring person. Number 30. I am happy that I chose to do this work. So again, of those, every one scales somewhere between one and five. One for never, five very often, and two, three, and four somewhere in between, with three being sometimes. Okay, so the next part, I'm gonna there's three areas, okay, that you are going to kind of add up the certain numbers, and then they're gonna go correspond to different parts. So the three scales we have are compassion satisfaction, burnout, and secondary traumatic stress scale. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. For the first part, your compassion scale, take, the, take your answers for questions 3, 6, 12, 16, 18, 20, 22, 24, 27, and 30, and add them up. If your sum of this scale is 22 or less, then your compassion satisfaction level is low. If it's between 23 and 41, it's moderate. And if it's 42 and above, it's high. Now, what does that mean? Compassion satisfaction is about the pleasure you derive from being able to do your work well. For example, you may feel like it's a pleasure to help others through your work. You may feel positively about your colleagues or your ability to contribute to work settings or even the greater good of society. High scores on this scale represent a greater satisfaction related to your ability to be an effective caregiver in your job. If you're in the higher range, you probably derive a good deal of professional satisfaction from your position. If your scores are below 23, you may either find your problems with your job or there may be some other reason. For example, you may derive your satisfaction from the activities other than your job. Okay, so that's the compassion satisfaction scale. Now, the next one is going to be the burnout scale. Now, this part gets a little tricky as me to like proctor it in, an, in a podcast setting. So just kind of deal with me. So on the burnout scale, you will need to take an extra step. 
So I'm going to read you the numbers, and on certain ones, it's going to have a reversed scale. And the reason we do this is because scientifically, the measure works better when these questions are asked in a positive way, though they can tell us more about the negative form. For example, in question one, I am happy, this tells us more about the effects of helping people when you are not happy, so you reverse the score. So, that being said, I am going to tell you the numbers that are on this scale. And then I'm going to tell you which ones you're going to do the reverse. Okay. Sounds complicated. It's really not that bad. So the numbers on the burnout scale are the answers to your questions. 1, 4, 8, 10, 15, 17, 19, 21, 26, 29. Write down the answers of that. Now, put a mark next to these questions. These are going to be the reverse ones. For questions 1, 4, 15, 17 and 29 they are going to be scaled in reverse so if the answer you wrote down for question one is a five you're going to change that answer to one if the answer you wrote down is number four you're going to change that to number two and so on and so forth three will be three that doesn't change two will be four and one will be five again those questions are question one four fifteen 17 and 29 okay so then you add all those numbers up the reverse numbers and then the non-reverse numbers in this scale alone and it's gonna the scores are gonna read the same as the one before 22 or less your burnout level is low 23 and 41 your burnout level is moderate and 42 and above your burnout level is high what does that mean? Most people have intuitive idea of what burnout is. From the research perspective, burnout is one of the elements of compassion fatigue, and it's associated with feelings of hopelessness and difficulties in dealing with work or in doing your job effectively. These negative feelings usually have a gradual onset. They can reflect the feeling that your efforts make no difference, or they can be associated with a very high workload or a non-supportive work environment. Higher scores on this scale mean you are at a high risk for burnout. If your score is below 23, this probably reflects positive feelings about your ability to be effective in your work. And if your score is above 41, you may wish to think about what at work makes you feel like you are not effective in your position. Your score may reflect your mood, perhaps you're having a bad day, or in need of some time off. If the high score persists, or if it's reflective of other worries, it may be cause for concern. And the last one for this, folks, is going to be the Secondary Traumatic Stress Scale. Just like you did in Compassion Satisfaction, you're going to copy the rating as it is down the line as I give you the numbers. And then we're going to add them up and we'll refer to the, the, the table. So, the questions for a Secondary Traumatic Stress are 2, 5, 7, 9, 11, 13, 14, 23, 25, and 28. So you add those scores up, and again, if your score, if the sum is 22 or less, then your secondary traumatic stress level is low. 23 and between 23 and 41, then it's moderate, and 42 and above, it is high. The secondary component for compassion fatigue is secondary traumatic stress. This is about your work-related secondary exposure to extremely or traumatic stressful events. Developing problems due to the exposure of others' traumas is somewhat rare, but does happen to many people who care for those who have experienced extremely or traumatically stressful events. For example, 
You may repeatedly hear stories about traumatic things that happen to other people, commonly called vicarious traumatization. If your work puts you directly in the path of danger, for example, field work in a war or civil violence, this is not secondary exposure. Your exposure is primary. However, if you are exposed to others' traumatic events as a result of your work, for example, as a therapist or an emergency worker, this is secondary exposure. The symptoms of STS, secondary traumatic stress, are usually rapid in onset and associated with a particular event. They may include being afraid, having difficulty sleeping, having images of the upsetting event pop into your mind, or avoiding things that remind you of the event. If your score is above 41, you may want to take some time to think about what at work may be frightening to you or if there is some other reason for your elevated score. While higher scores do not mean that you have a problem, they are an indication that you may want to examine how you feel about your work and your work environment. You may wish to discuss this with your supervisor, a colleague, or a healthcare professional. Again, guys, this is just a self-assessment. It's supposed to be fun, but it's supposed to kind of open your mind and go, huh, what do I have going on here and you know, what can I do about that? Now, all that being said, put it in your back pocket. It's something. It's it's a tool in your tool belt. How many times do we hear that throughout the the course of a career? Now that we've done that, now that we've kind of talked about that, let's go right into it. Let's bring in the therapist, ladies and gentlemen. Here is my guest coming to you from sunny California, Dina Camp. Penny, hi. What comes around comes around. It's almost secular and cyclical. Sometimes our portions can get biblical, but when it comes to all the bullshit, you gotta get it. Problems are minuscule When it all falls down There's the mercy for the pitiful Not to be political When it comes to yours and mine You know I want residuals I'm coming through kicking doors have my guest after a multitude of technical <laughs> difficulties uh we have dina how you doing today hi i'm good i'm good thank you for having me and thank you for your patience absolutely no problem this is like <laughs> nothing compared to some of the technical difficulties i've dealt with so you're oh, perfectly fine I'm happy to hear that <laughs> Yes, and happy to have you here. So before we get too deep into our conversation today, I'll let you go ahead and mm -hmm. introduce yourself. Tell us who you are, where you're from, what you do, and we'll go from there. All right. Well, my name is Dina Kale, and I am a licensed clinician. I live in Southern California, and I, I work for a company that contract. I work for the, the counseling team international. We contract with about 100 different agencies all over the country. Um, FBI, DEA, CHP, you know, all the letters. <laughs> and the alphabet um, soup. Exactly, all of those, as well as, you know, um, city, so city, state, and federal agencies, primarily first responder agencies. Um, so I have the honor of um, serving those who serve, and it's, it's truly, truly an honor. And is that how you started, or how did you start out um, in your clinical work? Well... You should ask. So 
Uh, my first clinical work um, was a very long time ago, starting in a psychiatric hospital. I um, worked. So dealing with first responders is right up your alley. I <laughs> now, now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I spent about five years uh, working in mental illness. So I was in, you know, a psychiatric facility that also treated chemical dependency, if that's what it was called back then. Now I think we call it substance abuse, but a chemical dependency and psychiatric center. And um, I worked through college and I worked with children and adults and elderly. And when I was done, I was like, you know, okay, this was a great experience, but I don't, I don't want to work with mental illness. It's not my jam, but that's where I cut my teeth um, understanding all about uh, mental health, mental illness, what it looks like, how to treat it, all that good stuff. Gotcha. Gotcha. And what got you involved with, the first responder aspect, what, what drove you to that avenue? Oh, lots of things. So as a kid, my grandfather was a chief of police um, in the town that I grew up in, Los Alamitos, um, police department. He was the chief and then later retired from Carlsbad uh, City Police Department. And he, I just looked up to him. Everything about him was um, just larger than life command presence but to me he was gentle you know he was my grandpa and you know the slick pomade in his hair and the sound of his creaky gun belt like I just thought he was so stinking cool and um, I always knew that I had I was attracted to law enforcement when I first got into college I was like maybe I'll go into the FBI that would be really cool and then I saw Silence of the Lambs and I said never mind I'm doing that <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I was I was watching Lethal Weapon um, in the movie theater. I'm that old, the first one, not the remake. And I pointed at the screen and I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to be the therapist that's in the police department trying to get the, the cops to come talk to her. Because um, I just, you know, give me the biggest challenge. <laughs> Let me talk right, to a guy sure, that yeah. doesn't want to talk about feelings. Let me talk to him. That's the one I want to talk to. Um, but th the funny connection, so w with with my grandfather, you know, having a career in law enforcement, I, I came to my mom and I told her I was going to marry a cop and she burst out in tears and she said, don't do it. It's the worst mistake of your life. Don't marry a cop. You'll regret it. <laughs> um, and the joke goes, moms are always right. Listen to your mother. So yes, I did marry a cop. We were married for 13 years, but I have no disparaging words about him. That's just the funny story. Like, but I learned the intimate um, challenges of a law enforcement family and what that looks like and you know the overtime and waking up to him not being there and my first line of duty death funeral and being terrified that he wasn't going to come home and actually one time waking up to a knock on the door and it was a uniformed officer um as i'm starting to collapse um he he's he put out his hands and he said no 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 your husband sent us to check on you and i was like that son of a bitch i'm gonna kill him <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> for sure yeah <laughs> But then I learned about, you know, how line of duty deaths are delivered and um, it wouldn't be from an agency I didn't recognize and blah, blah, blah. Um, right. So. Yeah. But that's I mean, that's good, though, because now I'm sure in your work you have that level of understanding of the police culture 
Um, whereas a lot of people, and that's such a big, I've had guests on before and that's such a big mountain to climb is if you don't have that cultural knowledge of law enforcement and the ins and outs of it, the the police aren't going to open up to you because they think that you don't understand. No, absolutely not. I mean, and I've heard time and time again, um, you know, cops, firefighters, first responders coming into my office and saying, I'm so glad you understand. I think I scared the crap out of my last therapist. And I said, I guarantee you did. (laughs) I said, but trust Mm -hmm. me, there's nothing you can tell me that's going to shock me or scare me. My jaw will not be on the floor. It's, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's good. One of uh, one of the therapists I had before my current one, my current one is retired NYPD, mm. but the mm. one I had before that, he definitely listened to my stories, and it wasn't so much a shock and awe, but definitely he was like interested, but more of like a like a tourist type of thing, like ooh, tell mm. me more, like tell me more, you know. But he was yeah. professional about it. He understood, okay. but. Yeah. You know, I'm always worried that, like, all right, this is the story that's going to throw them for a loop. Right. But now, right. you know, with my therapist now having been retired from the job, uh, right. it's almost sometimes it's like, oh, you think your story's messed up? Check out this one. It'll make you feel a little bit better. <laughs> You're one up in each other. He's like, have I got a story for you? <laughs> right, right. But but it helps a lot, too, when, when you yeah. start complaining about, you know, uh, messed up tours of duty or just schedules yeah. being wrong or family life is like, no, I I understand that or, or right. just using that as a reference point for certain things. Right. Or, or even more the, the taboo part of the gruesome stuff that you see on the job. You know, sure. no one, you can't talk about that with your loved ones for the most part. Most people don't, you know, share those gruesome right. details. And, you know, I, I certainly am not like, you oh, give me your most gruesome stories, but I'm not afraid to hear them to help you unload them, you know? Yes, absolutely. And I think that's where we get kind of the stigma is definitely there of like talking to a therapist because you get to that or um, next week, one of my guests uh, worked in child exploitation for so many years. And so to retell those stories or just like, you know, the ability to cope with those stories. Yeah. um, Because obviously we know that cops have a dark sense of humor and to put Mm -hmm. some kind of humor in such a terrible, terrible thing is very off putting for people that don't understand. You you said it correctly. It's off putting for people that don't understand, but the gallows humor is how we cope. You know, right now with my therapist, what I'm working on is offloading all the years of, of calls that I've responded to, you know, serving my first responders. It's in the quiet that I remember them and they, they haunt me. Yeah. And I feel like that's for me in my career, it's never, things don't seem to ruminate immediately or in the Mm -hmm. moment, but definitely days, weeks, months later when you're just yeah. kind of enjoying life and then some somewhere <laughs> and you get this intrusive in. thought just kind of <laughs> pops in and it's like, right? oh, where'd that come from? Right. Thanks for reminding me. Thanks, Killjoy. I really didn't want to remember that right now. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but what I've learned through therapy is to not hold those back. And when you have right. an understanding partner who can walk you through that kind of that dark moment. And it it doesn't have to be as dark as the moment will make it, you know, just to be like, Hey, that is a thought I'm having. And then kind of moving on from it. That's kind of what, and my, my girlfriend is, is a a first responder as well. She's in dispatch. So she definitely understands it, but it took me so long to get to that point where she, where I understood that she understood. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's like, you didn't believe her that she understood. You're like, yeah. hmm, I don't know if you really do understand. 
<laughs> right. Or, or the, the terribleness of like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You understand, but, and that's why I don't want to put more on you either. Yeah. Is like, yeah. You know, I don't want to put my stress on your stress. Right. Right. Oh, that's so true. And, you know, we even have some, some language in, um, in my cult, I was gonna say my culture, but in the culture of therapy world, in the therapists that work with first responders and veterans, you know, our language around that is, can I vent? Do you have a moment for me to vent? Like we ask permission first, can I can I share with you a really gnarly call that I just had? Or can I tell you about this conversation that I just had? It's really, really painful and really haunting. And sometimes, you know, I will say, I, I can't, I can't right now. Um, but maybe in a little bit, most of the time we're like, yeah, absolutely. Have a seat. That's, that's definitely important. And, and to everyone listening in a few weeks, we're going to have, um, a married couple. One's a cop, one's a records clerk in a police department, the same police oh. department. And we talked just about that. So I'm Perfect. glad that we're kind of, um, kind of given a, a sneak preview into it. And, um, <laughs> it, it, you know, it's such an important thing. It's an important aspect to the job and, and our, our, topic today which is mostly burnout but it, we're really mm-hmm. i'm gonna i'm gonna use you a lot we're gonna talk about a couple different <laughs> things and um because i feel I'm like for it right because i feel like the reason one of the main reasons that law enforcement suicide numbers are so terrible and so so you know large is because we don't cope well at all we don't we don't know the proper ways to cope and i've said a lot recently that talking whether it be professionally to a therapist or if it just be to your loved ones um, or to someone else that you trust is probably one of the most important things to do. And I'm, I'm, you know, would you say that therapy is not for everyone? Um, no, I wouldn't say that. I would say therapy is for everyone. Everyone talks, right? Everyone talks, everyone has communication and communication is, well, sorry, I'm thinking out loud. <clears throat> because that's that's a that's a, like that's a great question and you know I, I guess i'm thinking about my internal processors so there's a difference do you understand the difference between internal processing and external processing lay it on me let me know okay okay well so an external processor is for the most part the women the woman comes home from from work right she comes in she says honey what do you think we should have for dinner you know, I'm thinking we should have steak, but but maybe actually we should probably have that lasagna that we made last night. Or, you know, actually, I totally forgot we promised the kids pizza. And he's staring at her blankly like, what just happened? I went on a trip around the world. Like, I don't care. Just make something. But he, so that's an external processor, thinking out loud. The internal processor, you know, comes home and says, honey, what do you think we should have for dinner? Pause, 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 because he's thinking and he's thinking through all of those things, but then he only communicates what he lands on. Oh, we promised mm-hmm. the kids pizza. And so this this internal processor needs time and space and quiet to process. And so what can be beneficial though with therapy is although you know, therapy means talk, healing, healing talk, but part of therapy, a therapist does a lot of education so we teach people things and they, you know, someone often people come into me and they say, what's wrong with me? Why am I acting like this? Or why am I doing this? Or why am I having nightmares? And I get to explain to them why, you know, after I ask some questions and find out what else is going on for them, but then I get to explain, this is how your, your body works. 
This is how your mind works. This is how Mm -hmm. your nervous system responds to stimuli and, you know, then share this bird's eye view. So I will go back and say, yes, I do think therapy is for everybody. Not everyone's going to be down with it. (laughs) Not everyone's Mm -hmm. open to it. And frankly, not every therapist is a great therapist. Right. Not not every mechanic is a great mechanic. Not every restaurant is a great restaurant. Right. Not every doctor is a great doctor. So are there bad therapists out there? Yeah. Unfortunately, there are. So. Right. And I feel I feel like I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, not at all. um, I feel like with a therapist, it's a lot like Goldilocks and the three bears. Right. You need to find the therapist (laughs) that's just right for you. Right. Um, You know, different different therapists have different methods and methodology for accomplishing the goal and whether it be a personality clash whether it be kind of the way they do their their work uh it may not be conducive to you or it could just be a flat out like you know oil and water type of thing you just right right or there's just (laughs) they're just really bad (laughs) unethical or inappropriate or uh, you know, or you don't mess mesh with their personality. Everyone, you know, has a different personality. Right, right, absolutely. I, I, I agree completely, and I feel like it's important for first responders, law enforcement, to have someone like I was saying uh, that they can talk to, that they're comfortable talking to, whether right. it be a licensed clinician, whether it be a spouse, or whether it be mm-hmm. you know a religious leader, someone that you yeah. trust that you can get those things out to. Right, right, for sure. Chaplains are great listeners and can offer a lot of great comfort, too. Um, so, yeah, you just have to find your person, someone that is, is um, able to hold space for the pain you're experiencing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And sometimes, for me, just having that avenue that I can just unload and just yeah. talk and just get yeah. things out. Yes. That in itself is therapeutic and really, I mean, obviously my therapist will give me feedback, but sometimes he doesn't even need to because that was just enough. That was enough to like get <laughs> right. me right. Right, but, right, right. You do all so, the talking and then you leave and you're like, oh, thanks so much for your help. And the therapist is like, I literally said two words. Yes, but, exactly. Right? And I, I agree completely. Um, and some uh, sessions are like that. I remember the very totally. first time I went to therapy with with someone I got off of EAP I was super nervous going there. I went in and then I started talking. And once I started talking, I didn't stop. And like, <laughs> like an hour, you know, the hour goes by and I'm like, Oh, I thought like, that was like five minutes and I was just giving my intro. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, but the next she day asked I you, felt, tell me, she said, tell me about yourself. And you talked for an hour. <laughs> ex- pretty much. Exactly. And, um, you know, an hour later or, you know, after that, I felt so light and, you know, oh, things just right. felt so much better. So right. it really right. depends on what you're going for. And, and mm-hmm. obviously, as you see that that therapist or that person more and more, you get more comfortable and more comes out. And then it really becomes yeah. a, uh, a back and forth, a really good dialogue. Yeah, exactly. So in your in your time, in your experience, what are some mm-hmm. of the most um, pressing issues that cops bring to you as problems that they need kind of dissected and pulled apart and kind of that they need to work through? Um, well, depression comes up a lot and it looks, but it's tricky because it looks different for first responders. A lot of the time, um, well, maybe half the time, depression looks like anger, like an anger problem. And they're just angry and irritable and mad at the world and yell at their kids and kick the dog and are fighting all the time and insubordinate and getting in trouble. And 
Um, but what I have found is underneath that there's, there's a depression lurking. Um, so depression shows up a lot, but depression can also look like, you know, down low energy, just can't find joy. feels like a black cloud is over their head. Um, you know, so that, that comes up a lot. Anxiety comes up a lot because, well, I won't say because just yet anxiety comes up a lot and they don't understand what it is or why it's happening. And so that's really disturbing. They don't like that. It's really uncomfortable and it feels like they're, they're um, losing control. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, you know, it takes some education to, to talk about why it's happening and, and then how to manage it. But, you know, panic attacks, it, it really feels like someone's having a heart attack, you know, and here's the rub with having a panic attack. Then you have anxiety because you're afraid of another panic attack. So it feeds on itself. So then you end up trying to avoid having another panic attack. And so then you isolate from everybody and everything. Um, and it just becomes this vicious circle. Mm-hmm. Um, marital problems happen. That, that comes up a lot, um, certainly. With and do you feel the- like the marital problems are caused by those other two things, by the depression, by the anxiety? Or do you think mm-hmm. they're just a separate animal? They're a separate animal because so many different issues are happening when couples come for help. Um, infidelity is a big one that comes up and recovery from that infidelity. Um, but what I have found is it all comes back to communication and setting a good foundation and of, of communication and um, sort of the rules of engagement. Um, and they don't, they don't know what they don't know. So they don't know that, oh, maybe they should have been talking more specifically about what brings them joy in life or more specifically about their retirement plans. You know, I've had couples come to me and say, you know, we're, we're arguing about um, I'm retiring in two years and, and my plan was always to move to Idaho. And she's saying she's not going to leave the grandkids. I'm like, and you're just now talking about this. Like you didn't Mm -hmm. talk about this for the last 28 years. (laughs) Um, So there's, there's this big communication issue that's happening. Um, that that can be remedied and yeah. and you know i feel it, just the communication i feel is such a big thing uh mm-hmm. when, i want to go back to the depression talking about yeah. about you said how it manifests in different ways yeah what causes that what causes one person to respond as an anger and one what pr- mm-hmm. causes another person to be low energy um i i don't know that we have necessarily you know a risk a cause for one or the other, but I, I, I guess it would boil down to personalities, mm. but it could also boil down to, um, factors in life, you know, just how, um, things are going, you know, and I, I kind of, <clears throat> I'm a great therapist because I have a lot of my own experience <laughs> and mm-hmm. I, sure, and I sure. use it. <laughs> um, I have struggled with depression most of my life and, um, I'm actually, we're just now nailing down probably where it started. I had a concussion at 16 and mm. my, my depression started right away after that. And I never connected the two until the naturopath doctor that I'm working with now made that connection. Um, but so crazy all these years, but what was I going to say about that? But so I knew what my depression looked like until 
I had a, a horrific experience. My, my dad was murdered in 2014 and my depression turned in, turned to anger. I was mad at everybody and everything. And I, I was just ready to explode at a moment's notice. I have never felt that much anger in my whole life. And so but I knew I was depressed and I still had elements of depression going on, but it was manifesting now instead of this sad, low energy, it was this high energy, like, come at me, bro. Like I was mm-hmm. just somebody, please give me a reason to hit you. You know? Right. Sure. Yeah. I, yeah. No, I just want to kind of piggyback off that. Um, you know, last year, uh, my buddy was murdered in the line of duty and I had the exact same feeling, you know, I've, Mm. I've never been diagnosed depressed or anything like that, but obviously I felt depressed feelings, but up until that moment, it's always been low energy, whatever, not very, Mm. uh, not a very Mm. aggressive kind of feeling. But after that, just intense rage and anger and absolutely it it was, you know, I've never been, you know, a gratuitously angry or violent person. I'm always very even keel. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the moments and days and weeks after that, I mean, just the vile anger Mm -hmm. I had towards unnamed people, right? Like I was obviously angry at the person that did it, but just unnamed Mm -hmm. people on that. And um, even, you know, I took, so what happened, I took two weeks off after he got shot and then I went back to work. And then immediately after that, the the so I went back to work on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Sunday into Monday. My sister, um, she had an asthma attack. She ultimately died a, a week <gasps> later. Oh yes. my goodness! And oh, so dear. never Jeez. got really able to uh, deal with the one until the other one came, and now I'm dealing with both. Um, so yeah, so it's just yeah, that's hard. That's 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 incredibly complex, and now there's this multitude of grief and loss. Sure. Sure. So, I mean, Um, that's, but when you said about, you know, the, the anger and like what you said that you experienced, I was like, wow, that sounds exactly like how (laughs) I felt. Like that is really cool. I I don't know that I've ever talked to anybody that had that similar experience. So thank you for sharing that. That (laughs) Very normalized now. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. No, I, I mean the, the night it happened, um, and even, you know, like I said, days, weeks later, like I was mm-hmm. angry at the community, like for oh, no yeah. reason, like, you know oh. what I mean? Like, like, how dare they blah, you know, and oh. it was, oh, it was yeah. something that, and you know, when it happened, go figure, you know, that was when my therapist was on vacation. Obviously he never planned <laughs> oh. that. Right. So I had to, I, I, I grabbed one off EAP just, I was like, I need to talk mm-hmm. to someone. I know I need mm-hmm. to talk to someone mm-hmm. and me and the, the therapist they gave me who um, another officer had been seeing who came, who recommended her. Um, mm-hmm. we talked and she was, she was very good. I only had two sessions with her because mm-hmm. she got COVID. Then I couldn't talk to her. And then I'm like, oh, of all the times to need people. Right, right? But, um, right. Yeah. But you know, she did, she said the same thing that the anger was actually a form of the sadness of the depression, just kind exactly. of pushing in a different way. Exactly. That when you said about like, even like kicking the dog, right. Cause like everyone, oh, yeah. everyone who doesn't like police will always say like, Oh, dogs are or police are dog kickers and things like that. But oh, it could it's a be just the speech. <laughs> we don't <laughs> kick right. dogs. <laughs> right. But I mean, you know, you do you do get these random bursts of anger and you're just like, yeah. where did that come from? That's so uncharacteristic. Yeah, a real common response for me, um, I, I kind of learned 
after some after pretty gnarly calls, you know, a, a baby death, for instance, that's that's a big one. Those are really heavy, and it's really hard to see these really tough, grown men first responders. No offense to women. Yes, of course, there's grown tough women into as well, um, being sort of general. Seeing them break down because of the sadness of that of that call that they did, and having to hold space for that, and hearing the story. You know, I will leave, and if, if I, for instance, you know, run into the grocery store to grab something, I'm angry that people are laughing and smiling. I am pissed. Uh-huh. I want to say all of you motherfuckers need to sit down and quit laughing right now. The world needs to stop because a baby just died tonight. You know, mm-hmm. and so I, I've always known, like, all right, I just need to like stay out of public <laughs> at following a call, like within 24 hours after a call. I, I'm just not good to be in public. Um, yeah, but it was always directed. You, you know, I'd had a specific reason, and the specific reason was I was sad and hurt in this community of first responders that tried to save this, right, rescue this life. Um, were hurting. So, you know, translating that similar experience to my dad's murder, I was, it wasn't that I wanted people to acknowledge that or, um, or validate me. I was just pissed at the world. It, I was mm-hmm. pissed that the world was so unfair. I was mad at God. I, I didn't understand how people got to be smiling and happy and kissing their dads and like I didn't understand and it wasn't fair so my anger was was it was different it was unique it was different um sure sure um you know talking about like how you were talking about with um like a baby where you're saying reaction Mm -hmm. to that I remember Mm -hmm. the night the Pulse nightclub shooting happened Mm, I I remember Mm -hmm. I was in field training and I came into work at 5 a.m. that morning and it was Mm -hmm. on TV. That's how I learned about it. Mm -hmm. And I had the same reaction when we started getting bogus calls for service. I'm like, really? We have to go to a barking dog complaint right now? Don't they know what's going on? Or like when you have to make your first – I was like, people can't stop being shitty for like two minutes while all this happens. And I almost wonder when you said that, I was like, well, you know, think about like – major catastrophes like pulse right mm-hmm. i go all the way mm-hmm. back to september 11th when life oh, literally yep. stopped right yeah life and that's the only time stopped. that but that, that's because that's it the only time for me. we were all affected right but i'm sure that if you were a, a cop at that time you still had to respond to burglaries oh, and all that stuff that went along with it right? so really those cops dealt with the same thing that we're dealing in these scenarios <laughs> but yep. obviously we weren't affected by it yeah. um yeah. But it's just it's interesting that you put it that way because it's the stuff that I thought about you know seven years ago when I when it happened, but right. I never I never really pieced them together until you said that. Isn't that wild? Yeah, I I have had to really reframe trauma and be very cl- um, clear on this piece that it's relative. It's relative to people's experience and. So, you know, for the most part, uh, you know, 90% of the clients I serve are first responders or families, uh, you know, a, fam- a family member of a first responder. But occasionally I'll get, you know, I-, I use the proverbial soccer mom. No offense to soccer moms. I'm just using it as sort of a blanket term <laughs> that contrasts a first responder, right? 
so I'll get a soccer mom in and she's complaining about, you know, I don't even know, not, not getting an invitation to a birthday party or something. And in my head, I want so badly to say, oh my God, are you freaking kidding me right now? You have no idea what stress is. This is nothing. But I've had to recognize that it's relative to, to their experience and their stress is valid even if it's not the same level. So so this is a common theme that happens even among first responders. And and they'll say this. I I can't believe I'm feeling stress when I know my partner just had this gnarly call or I know this department lost one of their own and look at me feeling sorry for myself because I have to work overtime again. I said, "Hold on a second. We can't go comparing trauma exposure or comparing stressors." that's not fair, you know? Right. Yes. And that's something that I, I also had to deal with, you know, in different calls and everything. Cause that was my initial response to a lot of them was, well, I can't be upset or affected by mm. this because my mm. role in this was so much less than someone else's. See? Right. Why do we do that to ourselves? Right. And it, it comes to, I think it comes to, uh, recognizing and validating that what you experience is what you experience. It doesn't matter, you know, what level, I mean, you could have just heard about it. And like, for instance, we had, um, we, I responded to an officer involved suicide, uh, in my jurisdiction Mm. when I, when I was working there and, um, you know, some people that didn't respond to that, uh, were Mm. affected by it. And obviously just hearing Mm. it was, was enough, you know, because, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. that's not supposed to happen. And it mm-hmm. happened in our backyard. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really got me to realizing that what you perceive and what you experience is what you experience. And if it affected right. you, it affected you. Right. And, and isn't there this level of, I get to grieve, but you don't. Um, so this is, this is such a common theme I see in grief and loss. What's so interesting is, is there's, there's a couple of first questions. So, um, let's say someone finds out that your your dad died, right? They say, um, oh, how long ago, right? As if the time matters. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter if it was 10 years ago or 10 days ago. The pain is still there because grief, that grief pain doesn't ever go away. The next question they ask is, were you close? Once again, as if that matters. Like, and so, so like when you're talking about the the people affected by the suicide, it's like, why is this guy upset about it? They weren't even friends. Right. You know, like, wow, gosh, why do we do that? You know? But I found myself doing that too. Like I would, you know, to my family members, like, how dare you grieve? This is my dad. Like I get the grief thrown. I get the, I get Mm -hmm. the crown for the one that gets to experience the most grief, not you. (laughs) Right. Right. The, the, uh, Exactly. I've, I've said that before when, when my buddy, when my buddy passed away, you know, people came to me, uh, Mm -hmm. knowing how, how I am with, with mental health and everything. You know, listen, I, I feel, feel comfortable telling you about this, but you know, I'm really affected by this. It's really bothering me, but I don't want to say it to anybody else because they're going to say, well, you didn't know him that well. I was like, Uh, no, I was like, you grieve the way you need to grieve. Like if, 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 you know, this guy passing away had a big deal on you, then it had a big deal on you. You're not, don't discredit the way you're feeling. Right. Right. You don't have to qualify your grief. Exactly. And I feel like, you know, we all do. I, I feel like almost that's like a human 
condition where like that's just something that we do naturally and we have to teach ourselves not to do that mm-hmm. like as opposed mm-hmm. to be the other way around right right it's wild isn't yeah. human behavior fascinating it is very fascinating. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm signing up for anthropology in the next uh, semester for that reason. Oh my gosh, you're going to love it. I loved yeah. anthropology. That was one of my favorite classes. I loved learning about all of that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so the next thing that you mentioned about was the anxiety. And yeah. I feel like that's such a big, mm-hmm. important thing in law enforcement because we're always in control, right? That's our right. job is being in control. And now out of nowhere, we have no control in a right. certain topic. And it's like, what do I do? I don't know how to deal with this. Right. Right. So when, when you have a, when you have a cop come up to you Mm -hmm. and they say that, you know, they're feeling anxious or feeling out of control, what Mm -hmm. can they do to Mm -hmm. kind of get over that hump? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, you know, this is, um, step one is really understanding what it is and why it's happening. That's, that's step one. And, and most of the time people aren't aware of that. They don't, they don't know why it's happening and they don't know what it is or, or what it's doing. Um, our nervous systems are designed for survival. Okay. So it is when we experience, let's say a gnarly incident, um, our nervous system encodes all of that information. And it says, I'm going to need to remember the color red. I'm going to need to remember this smell. I'm going to need to remember these words. I'm going to need to remember this the face because all of this is a dangerous situation that I'm going to need to remember for next time. And and, and so our nervous systems, they, they aren't, they're, they're kind of, they're dumb in the way that they don't have critical thinking so that you could be, you know, 10 years removed from this gnarly call that had this certain smell, but you smell that smell again, and your body might respond as if it's happening right now. So that's a trigger, right? Because your body, your nervous system says, "Uh Oh, I sense danger. But it doesn't have critical thinking. So it can't decide if you're really in danger, or if it's just because you have a thought, or uh, this association. Right? So when when someone is experiencing some sort of a trigger, um, they immediately they, they don't even investigate where it came from. They just respond like, "Oh my gosh, I don't like this feeling," and make it go away. So the number one thing they try to do is push it away, make it stop. But these feelings are messengers. They're designed to get us to do something. So we have to listen. We have to go, "Oh, what's that?" What does this mean? Why am I shaking right now? What what just happened? So I always say like rewind the tape and ask, you know, what just happened? Did did you did you have a thought? Did you smell something? Did you have a conversation? Did you see something? There was something that happened that caused your body to respond like that. Cuz your body follows your mind. That's the other thing. So if you have a thought like um, oh God, I just don't want to go to work today. I'm going to have to talk to my sergeant and I know he's pissed at me and I just don't want to do it. And then you're getting to your car and all of a sudden, like you get these like butterflies in your stomach. You're like, what the fuck is that? Why is that happening? Well, just a few seconds ago in your mind, you were thinking of how much you were dreading going to work and running into your sergeant. Right. But they don't make that connection in the moment. They just feel the butterflies and they kind of freak out. Oh my God, why is that happening? I don't like that. Make it go away. Make it stop. Uh, why? And then they get more anxious that it's happening. And so now they're getting more anxious that now they don't want to feel that feeling again. So they're fighting it. So it, it requires understanding what it is. But in the moment, my favorite technique is a long exhale. 
long exhale, and then you're going to be able to have a big inhale. Because when you're feeling anxious or you're having some sort of a symptom of anxiety, your breathing becomes really shallow. And you, so if you if someone says, oh, just take a breath, take a breath. Well, you can't because you're already at capacity. Your, your breathing is way up high in your chest and you can't take a deep breath. So the, the way the hack to get through that, the trick is to exhale, big, long exhale. Because then you'll be triggered to take a nice big inhale. And in that moment, it's like a it's like a reset to your nervous system. It's a little like reset button like a that was easy button mm-hmm. that helps to sort of settle things down and give you some clarity in the moment. And then you can reassess like, hmm, what just happened? Or what do I need to do? Right. Yeah, I, th- I feel like that's such an important thing. And really, that breathing, I, th- I feel like breathing is such an underrated form of just yep. calming yourself. Even when you're in yep. the moment, if you're you know on yep. a hot call, if you're doing yep. something stressful, Absolutely. just breathe. Work focusing on your breathing yep. suddenly will bring you back to center and Absolutely. will help you think a little bit more clearer than you probably would have otherwise. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. So all these things that we're talking about—the traumatic experiences, the bad calls, things like that—they mm-hmm. build up over time, mm-hmm. and eventually we start getting you know this thing we call burnout. Um, mm-hmm. Can we start talking about? <laughs> the the pathway to getting burnt out and then kind of dealing with the experience of that so by pathway to burnout do you mean like what causes it like how it happens yes okay so so what we know about burnout and and what causes it is is there's a there's a bunch of different things and you might laugh or nod your head in agreement because we're describing like literally every agency um unclear expectations policy changes all the time, right? Dysfunctional workplace, dysfunctional workplace environment. There's probably high drama somewhere or, you know, bad bosses or micromanagers, um, high demand and, and this high or, or the opposite, but because we're talking about first responders, everyone's in high demand. So there's this high demand, meaning everything that you do requires a lot of energy. So we're not just, or the opposite could lead to to burnout, like a bean counter. So if you just count beans all day long, that can lead to burnout because there's a very low demand. It's very monotonous, very boring. But my our first responders have the opposite. There's always this high demand, high energy required. Work life imbalance, hello, mandatory overtime, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And being extended and investigations and all these gnarly things and understaffed lack of social support. Um, and then a which can of actually la- that, that <laughs> lack of social support could come mm-hmm. from the toxic work environment. If you don't have a, sure. a, a copacetic work environment, then you can f- be stressed from that. For sure. For sure. But then what happens if, so you're in this maybe dysfunctional workplace um, and you don't have a good support system, even in your workplace, what happens if you go home alone? you live alone now you don't have and and maybe your parents or your family or your friends don't even live in the area and you go home and you're alone and you have a tv dinner and maybe a plant to water if you're lucky like there's no social support and there's no time for a social life because you just work 16 hours you got to go to bed and do it again tomorrow you know Mm -hmm. and then and then the last one which is certainly not the last one, it's probably the number one, is a feeling of lack of control. So look at the last two years. 
Like there is so little that any of our first responders have control over. There's so many things out of their control um, that has really contributed to this picture of like, if we, if we could create the perfect storm for burnout, we just did it in the last two years, right? And I feel like everything you described was really given um, validation almost by the American public. Mm, like all those right. different things, you know, the excessive right. overtime through all the, the, the protests and riots, the right. the lack of ex- um, clear expectations, obviously, because mm-hmm. of all the different changes that happened. Everything right. you just said, <laughs> you know, you can put a highlight through each and every one. And we experienced this over the last two years from, you know, basically from the start of COVID to, to where we are now. Exactly. And, you know, that's why you're seeing on top of all the other reasons, so many people, myself included, leaving the job, you know, right. they, they left right. because all that that perfect storm was just too much to keep going on when i can go work at xyz corporation and mm-hmm. be just fine and not deal with any of that mhm mhm right exactly and i feel and i feel like you know when you were talking about the high performance the necess- the, the need for high performance i was we were just at i said before we press record that i was um i was away yesterday and yeah. on the way home we stopped at at Moe's and we're you know we're in line we're getting our burrito or whatever and i was looking there were three guys working the working the counter and the first two guys they were you know one guy he was he was doing his job but he wasn't like amazing but I, i'd rate him like a b he was good at his job the guy next to him amazing like going above and beyond a plus you get to the guy at the cash register and you realize why he's not doing the other two jobs low <laughs> just low energy <laughs> didn't want to be there like oh, i said hey wow. can i get some queso and you thought i was asking him calculus <laughs> That's great. <laughs> it was so bad, right? But uh-huh. in law enforcement, we don't get that. No. In first responders, right. we don't get that. Every call, you have to be at your best. Even the guys that aren't good at their job have, have to have to some yeah. right, some level, yep. right? And yep. you know, yep. we will we will pick on the guy that's not good at his job maybe, you know, we'll try to hold him to a higher standard, but right. he's still performing pretty damn good. He's not Mr. Right. Queso at Moe's, you know, so <laughs> Mr. Queso at most. So, you know, it's that's something they're really taking that, you know, in our job, in our line of work, that even the ones that aren't great at it are doing amazing compared to every like the amount of effort that goes into working this job. It's just it's far surmounts even the lowest that we think we're doing. Oh, right. I mean, and let's talk about our unsung heroes, the dispatchers. Hello. (laughs) Dispatchers have to talk to people on their in their worst moment and they have to show up and they have to listen to this and and they have to try to offer some control some support some safety some comfort something to this caller so they have to be on their a game all the time all shift long like they don't get to just park and scroll through their phone for a minute or eat their burrito like they have to answer the next call they're plugged in all the time Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, that's that's been my role for the past year. So now I've seen mm-hmm. it on both sides. I've seen the street. Gosh. I've seen the dispatch world. Mm-hmm. And it, mm-hmm. it's absolutely correct. And the weirdest thing with dispatch is the the, the roller coaster, because it's literally like mm-hmm. for a cop. Right. They will. Again, mm-hmm. speaking from my experience on the street, you will go from the barking dog to the armed robbery in progress. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. But for the dispatcher, 
you're going to get both of those calls within seconds of each other. Right. While, while first responders, right? obviously, while, while the cops are going there, it's yeah. just as bad on the phone side, too. I don't yeah. want to say worse, but it's different because you yeah. have no control over that situation. All you right. can do is talk to the person and oh. hope that your words are doing something to make the situation a little safer. Right. Um, so you're right. absolutely right. And that the amount of stress I've said in the past year that I've come in, you know, come home from work being, a di- being in dispatch, that is such an, a, a mentally taxing job. Like oh. I feel more tired coming home from dispatch some days than I did coming home from the road because my brain is literally going a million miles a minute. Right. All and you 12 don't, hours. Right. And you don't get to move. You're, you're stuck plugged in to mm-hmm. your console, right? You don't get right. to move around. Because so this movement can be really helpful. Like you, you don't get to even right walk outside and get some fresh air. Like you're plugged in. Right. You if you get that for like ten minutes, you're lucky, or maybe you get a right. lunch break. But right. you know, think of all the cops that are getting to go to Seven Eleven. They get a cup right. of coffee just to just to right. even out a little bit. Exactly. So yeah, it's it definitely yeah. affects all of us in the first responder community. So so yeah. one way or another, it's affecting us. Right, right, right. You know, there's another, um, a, a couple, this, this quick phrase that is also a contributor to, um, to burnout. Um, it's also a contributor to anxiety, but in our conversation about burnout, too much, too fast. So these big, gnarly mass casualties, these horrible, like, look at our blue community right now is devastated. What did we lose? Four, 14 shootings, 14, how many officers in the last week alone? Yeah, like we are hurting. So this is too much, too fast, or too little for too long. So too little of you know feeling appreciated in your department, or too little rest and relaxation, or too little love from your loved ones at home for too long. Right. So there's this fire hose: too much, too fast, and too little for too long. Getting your needs met. Yeah, I think that's a really good one to kind of kind of encapsulate everything that the the first responder community is dealing with regarding burnout. So when you start feeling these symptoms of burnout, um, which Mm -hmm. at this point, you know, unless you are brand new in the job, you may not be feeling it, but anyone who's been a Mm -hmm. cop over the last two years, at least Mm -hmm. definitely feeling some way. So when you're Mm -hmm. starting to feel that, what are some techniques that you can Mm -hmm. use or strategies you can improvise or you can Mm -hmm. employ to combat that? Well, I mean, I think, I think first we have to define what the symptoms are, like what the pieces. So we talked about the causes of burnout, but we didn't talk about like what that translate to for the individual person. So mm-hmm. the, the first number one red flag for burnout is being exhausted. And I even like to call it restless exhaustion because you are so tired, but you can't rest. Like you try to lay down and watch a movie, but you just can't stay, stay seated or you really try to have a, an unproductive down day to just rest, but you can't because you're thinking about 25 things that need your attention. Right. Oh Did I strike a nerve there? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> so that exhaustion is the number one symptom of burnout. Um, along with that would be this low energy sort of, like you used to be able to kick it in gear when you needed to, you know, kick that turbo boost and, and get some extra energy, but now you just can't do it. Like you don't have the energy you used to have. There's this cynicism, <laughs> which we, we often see, uh, right, in our culture. 
Um, but also along with that cynicism is, is real critical. So critical of others, critical of yourself, critical of your family members, critical of your neighbor that didn't mow his lawn, just like critical and cynical. Uh, loss of satisfaction. So feeling like you used to actually feel good about the things that you were doing on your job. You were able to find some level of satisfaction and now you just don't. Like none of it matters. What's the point? I hate this job. I don't even like it anymore. I don't get any satisfaction out of it whatsoever. And then there's the um, irritability that goes with that. Um, your sleep is now disturbed. You're not getting enough sleep. You're not getting good quality sleep. So you're feeling the effects of that. And you're having physical symptoms of stress. So you're probably having headaches. You're probably having stomach issues. It could be ulcerate, ulcer type stuff or acid reflux type stuff or um, just constant indigestion, uh, muscle spasms, you know, back aches, neck aches, knee pain, hip pain, just your body is literally screaming at you. Because I say like, if your mind can't tell you, oh, I'm really stressed right now, your body will let you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it screams with with headaches and stomach issues and muscle pain, all that kind of stuff. So that's a picture of what burnout, what someone who is experiencing burnout looks like. And there's a lot of crossover with depression, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's often like a little bit of a debate, like, well, isn't burnout just depression? Well, no, because we have things in there like loss of satisfaction in your work and being cynical and critical. And um, so no, not entirely, but it is pretty darn close. Right. And yeah, when you said about, you know, kind of unable to take a true relaxing day mm -hmm. off, uh, mm -hmm. I just dealt with um, seven days straight dealing with Hurricane Ian. Oh, and my gosh. On my day I can't coming imagine. home. Yeah. When I came home, my girlfriend was like, all right, your first day off, mm -hmm. don't do anything. Just lay on the couch. <laughs> I will do whatever you need. Just, yeah, I got you. And it was oh, great. And I was like, I that. can't do that. I appreciate it. But I was yeah. like, I got to I gotta get schoolwork done. I got this. I got <laughs> podcast stuff to do. Like things right. I couldn't do for the last week yeah. living at the police department. Right. So I did my version of that. So I did, you know, an hour on the podcast, three hours not doing anything. An hour in school, mm. three hours, you know. So I did that. Oh, good for you. And yeah. So I was able to find a way to make it work. But, mm -hmm. you know. I am not one, you know, and I love movies, but I am not one to sit and watch a movie th mm. the whole way through. I will get up and I will go mm. do things or, <laughs> or the exact opposite. I will fall asleep watching a movie. So like, uh, <laughs> I always right. get up, you know, so <laughs> there's a just... spin or stop on, on the wash cycle, right? You're either exactly. spinning, constantly yeah. moving or stop as in like dead to the world. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The last time, you know, we had family movie night, it was, it, it also happened to be, I was prepping for to smoke some meat the next day and mm -hmm. i was up i was doing that but i was watching the movie and my, my girlfriend was like are you gonna sit down i was like nope because i'm nope. gonna fall asleep but i'm watching <laughs> right. the movie i know what's going <laughs> must not stop must not right. stop moving <laughs> exactly but you know i think that also comes with knowing yourself and knowing how to adapt and be able to uh make those things work right right you, you do you have to right yeah uh, to go, so keep it on the, on the burnout train here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so we, we understand the, the signs that lead us there. We understand the symptoms that we're experiencing, mm -hmm. which I'm sure everybody that's working right now, that's listening yeah. to this is going, yep, 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 yep. yep. Yeah. Um, 
Thanks so for rubbing what, it in. What, exactly. So what do we do from there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So these are big and I don't give too many solutions. I want to give some real simple general guidelines. Number one, find your why, like get crystal clear on your why. Why do you get out of bed every morning? Like really hone in on that. And, and you might be like, oh, thanks, Dina, for pointing that out. I freaking hate my job. No, I don't know why I get out of bed every morning. Well, you, you keep going for a reason. Well, I have to. I have bills to pay. Well, no. I mean, you, you don't. You, this is – you can quit your job. You're, no one's holding a gun to your head. Sorry for the pun. Um, but you, you could quit. Well, I can't. It, it provides for my family. Okay, so you like that paycheck. Yes, yes, it's great money. Okay, there you go. There's something. So, you know, if you hate your job, you better find something redeeming about it. And maybe it's only the paycheck for now. And that's okay. Look at how much that paycheck provides for your family. Look how much that pay, you know, how, how that's able to let you have the things that you want, even if it's just the basics. The next one, you've got to find support, whether that's a therapist, a chaplain, a peer supporter, uh, a community of, of people and in the support you can you know you can do hobbies so if you want to join a pickleball crew like just go find some people find support you need some social support um, improve your sleep like please dear god work on your sleep you know when i experienced my own burnout it took me 18 months to dial in my sleep like 18 months of rigorous habit training habit formation, consistency, stability, doing the same thing every night. It wasn't until about 18 months that I'm like, Ooh, I think I fit, I think I hit the groove. I think I'm in the zone now when it comes to sleep. And you know what? It only took one thing to throw it off. So, and this was just a couple weeks ago, I responded to a call and I didn't get home until after midnight, which that is not like me. My bedtime is 10 o'clock. I am mm -hmm. in bed, lights out, 10 o'clock, phones on, airplane mode, like nobody call me. Um, but I, so then I couldn't wind down, right? Cause I was just driving and handling this call and doing all these things. And um, so I was up until two in the morning. It's taken me a week to get back to my 10 PM. Like it threw off my rhythm so much. So dial in your sleep, relax, find a way to relax. Um, and I know it's super hard to do, but you've got to find it. Um, Dr. Andrew Huberman talks about this thing called non-sleep deep rest or NSDR and non-sleep deep rest I say is the relaxation for people that hate relaxation. Like it is something that you can do that gives you the most bang for your buck. So my practice has become floating. Like I am a float therapy freak. I go weekly, preferably if I can 60 to 90 minutes in a, in a deprivation tank um, of salt water that I'm just floating in. And that is my non-sleep deep rest. Um, and it helps, it has so many other benefits, but it's, it's a form of non-sleep deep rest. So it could be yoga. It could be meditation. It could be, um, laying on the floor, meditating, whatever it is that helps your body and your brain relax, do it, do more of it. Um, mindfulness, that's the other one being very mindful. And I mean, aware of everything. So, you know, how much how many of us have gotten in the habit of just like, 
inhaling our food. Like we don't even, we, I don't even know if we tasted it. We just inhaled it. And so mindfulness would be like really looking at what you're eating, tasting it, looking at the texture, smelling it, really being mindful, being aware of, of your body cues. Am I, am I tired? Am I hungry? Am I mad? Um, what do I need right now? Being aware of, of what's in the environment, noticing things like the sky, birds chirping, the color of flowers. Um, so being very mindful. Um, those are probably the biggest, biggest ones. Boundaries would have to be a, a, a label to put in there, learning how to set boundaries, learning how to say no. Because when you say no, you're saying yes to you. So finding out what you need more of and then figuring out what you have to say no to. So if you need more rest and relaxation, well then if your friends want to go out to a festival on Saturday and Sunday, then maybe that's not going to do it for you because that's just going to stress you out and it's going to cost money and it's going to be hot and you're blah, blah, blah. Right. So learning how to say no to things that drain your energy, that zap your reserves that um, aren't contributing to a relaxation that you're mm. looking to get. You know, thinking about that after dealing with everything from last year, um, before I moved to where I am now and I was still with all my buddies and everything, we would, we went out to the bar quite a bit and, you know, it was nice to be around those people. And when I left and came back a few months later, we went to the bar and it was nice. That was actually like a very therapeutic experience to me. Mm. Not even the alcohol, like that mm. was that was not part of it. I mean, obviously we were consuming, but the, the camaraderie, the support, of talking, right. The fellowship, correct. the brotherhood. Right. Right. But then months later, we, I go back again. I'm like, all right, I need some more of that. Right. I was, I was right. really hooked on the high that I got from just right. being around those people. And I realized that it was the opposite. Now, now they were taking my energy that, you know, it was more of a draining experience. And I was like, okay, maybe that was a bad day. So I, I tried again and again. And eventually I realized, no, this is the problem here. So I, I did that. I separated myself from that experience and we did something different. So I could still have that mm -hmm. personal connection with those people, but not in that environment. And it mm -hmm. turned out to be a much better, a healthier experience. So nice. like you're saying, you know, as far as searching for things that are going to fulfill that right. need that you need, that, that's very yeah. important. Right, right, right. And good for you for recognizing like, mm, this isn't serving me the way it did before. What can I do right. to adjust this? Right. Yep. And it, again, at first I was like, oh no, it must've been me. I was having whatever, but it definitely, <laughs> it, it I, I dialed it in real quick. Cause I was like, all right, this is causing me way more stress than mm. it should mm -hmm. for being a relaxing time. Yeah. Um, so definitely for sure. I agree. And things you said about mindfulness, the meditation, um, the float thing, someone recommended me to me to do the float tank. Uh, there's one up in Tampa and mm -hmm. they said, go try it out. And I, I looked at it and I've heard some crazy things come from the float tank. So I'm like, ah, I don't know. It's kind of like, <laughs> I want to do it, but I'm also like, I heard like one guy that told me said he, uh, he, saw his dad who's been dead for 20 years oh dear like, oh, he dear. had like an out-of-body yeah. experience and that was oh, like dear. all right yeah but and and yeah so I, I i should always put a warning label on floating like if you're not comfortable in your own head you're not ready to float <laughs> you, yeah. you have to practice first you have to it's like you know you, you can't just say okay i'm gonna run a marathon today oh you gotta practice like floating mm -hmm. is like a meditation marathon like you're gonna meditate for 60 minutes 
Right, and you better yeah. be ready to confront and handle whatever, whatever comes, comes your way. You. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but if you don't have the resources to do that, don't do it yet. You're not ready. <laughs> I am definitely interested in it. I'm, I don't think I'm there just yet, but I'm definitely interested. One of these days I'm going to go there and be like, hey, I do a podcast. Can I like get my session for free or something? Oh, <laughs> See totally. how that I bet, yeah. I bet anybody would, would be happy to have you. Um, try it out so that you can report on it, you know, find the local place. They'd be, I'm sure they'd be happy to share that with you. But you know, the other thing about floating is you don't have to do it in total darkness and total silence. I should, I should say that you can have, have them keep the music on for you and keep the lights on for you so that you have the experience of that zero gravity and just being in the water Mm. and, you know, you can enjoy it that way. There has been times. So there, there was one particular time that I was like, I, I can't be alone with my thoughts right now. Like I'm going to need the, the music and the lights on because I'm not going to be able to handle it today. There's just having just too many, too many gnarly things were happening mm-hmm. with, with my client. Yeah. And that's good that they're, you know, they have the ability to kind of work with whatever the client needs. Um, right. So that way it's not too overwhelming for them in that moment. Right. Right. All right. So Dina, we've got uh, quite a, few um listener based questions so i'm going to go ahead and go oh, to them good. next now they they range from burnout questions to just mental health in general and kind of everything in between which is okay. also basically what we talked about this entire hour so i think we're oh, right on we the money with what we need good. yeah good. we'll see here we go okay. uh, the first one is actually from my guest for next week uh Kyle he says how do you manage tough seasons and how do you communicate your need for a break to admin I mean, so I'm in Southern California. We don't have seasons like weathered. Is he referring to the weather or is he referring to like the the natural sort of ebb and flow of that? That's what I think he's referring to. Yeah. Cause we're in Florida. We don't really have seasons either. So I think, yeah. So I think he's referring more to just like the ebb and flow of life. Like if you're having a rough couple of, you know, rough set of time, how do you communicate with your admin that you need a break? I, I think you, you start it like that, like Sarge, you know, I'm, I'm really struggling right now. This has been really heavy. I, I need to really kind of pull back. I'm wondering if I can take some time off for a little bit or, you know, is there, can you pull me off the, the overtime list or, you know, you can go at it like, Hey, I want to cooperate. Will you collaborate with me? I'm trying to get some rest. Um, maybe can you pull me off the road for a bit? Is there another job I can do for a bit? Um, if that's an option in your agency. And then, I mean, b- because if you don't get the cooperation, um, you're going to have to just advocate for yourself and take it. So if, you're, mm-hmm. if your mental health and wellness is se- being severely impacted and you're not able to do your job to the best of your ability and you know it, like in your, in your heart, in your mind, you're like, Oof, uh, I really should not be working right now. Not that you would let your work suffer, but you're going to suffer doing it. That's really what mm-hmm. I'm focusing on. Then you take the time, whether they like it or not. And and I, I hate to say that, and admin, please don't come at me, but I'm, I'm telling people they need to take care of themselves. This is a marathon, not a sprint. So if right. you want to be good for the rest of the year, if you want to be good next year, you might need to take a little time out and rest for a little while. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Right. Next one says, what do you do when you find yourself working so much overtime to avoid any depression outside of work? Oh, it's it's time to address it. 
it's time to address it. And we can tiptoe gently into that to get you some some skills um, that you can begin to practice so that you can tiptoe out of all of that work. Yep, so I, I I, I'm basically saying like, tread lightly. It's okay. Recognize what's happening, but it's time to address it. It's not sure. sustainable. And I think by the, right. I think the fact that you notice that this right. is what you're doing and why that's a yeah. good start. It's a, a lot great of great pe- start. It's an awareness. Right. Cause I, I mean, I did, I, I was an overtime whore when I was on the road. Mm. Like I would pick up one just because I always mm-hmm. had that drive to keep working Two because mm-hmm. I liked the money, but then sure. eventually it was cause it kept me from thinking about things for too long. Yeah, so, yeah, you yeah. know, eventually you start seeing that. And I feel like just by yeah. who responded, that's kind of how I got that vibe with him. Mm. Uh, the next one is what's the best way to avoid burnout for long-term success in this mm-hmm. job? strengthen your resilience. Like all of those things that I said, help recover from burnout. Those are the things that you can dial in really good to prevent burnout. So finding your support system, finding your why, um, improving your sleep, doing things that help you relax, being mindful, setting boundaries. Those are very healthy wellness and resilience strengthening pieces. I agree. And I I think that's something that people kind of get confused with when we talk about resiliency is like, they think Mm -hmm. that resiliency is um, traumatic incident. Like right now, like I'm having a Mm -hmm. a moment. I need it right now. No, resiliency is is doing the legwork beforehand. So when that bad moment happens, you know what to do. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, things like, you know, having those, those outlets, like if you, you know, going to the gym or, or meditating right. or going to a walk, all those things are things you're supposed to work on beforehand. Yep. So that way, when things hit the exactly. fan, yes. you have those you things have already. The resilience. You, right. You have the store, you know, resiliency. If you want to know what resiliency is, like look at a palm tree. Palm trees mm. are flexible. They're, they, they withstand temperatures. Like they can handle heavy winds because of the nature of what they are. So resilience, you have to become resilient. Um, I'm starting to work on a class called Unmoved. Be unmoved. Um, And and that's what resiliency is, so that whatever comes at you, you're prepared. It doesn't mean it's not going to hurt. doesn't mean it's not going to affect you. It means it's not going to throw you off. It's Mm. not going to knock you out you're going to be able to handle it because you have built up this resilience. I agree completely. Next question is 18 years on the job, finding I have less patient for non-work things. What is the mm. root causes possibly PTSD? Hmm. Wait, what was for non, so, what was the yeah, word let, before let me, non-work? Um, yeah, repeat it. Yeah. So 18 years on the job, yeah. finding I have less patience with non-work mm-hmm. things. What would be root less causes of that? Patience. Well, less patience, I mean, it could be that it's so, um, there's this extreme contrast. So when you're at work, you're dealing with very high need, high demand things. And you come home and your wife's like, the washing machine's broke. You're like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, I just scraped a kid's brains off the highway today. Like, I don't want to hear about this stupid dishwasher. That's, that's sort of the contrast that I see when guys start losing patience. They can't handle, like the mundane things of life because they just don't hold a candle to the stuff you've been exposed to at work. Um, but it, it could, it, it 
so th- there could be this lack of capacity. Like I can't handle stubbing my toe right now. It's just too much. So that tells me like the tank is full. I don't know if there's PTSD in there or not, but it certainly sounds like there's burnout brewing. Right. Kind of goes to what you were saying about the cynicalness of like, you know, right. the, the neighbor's grass and things like that. So <laughs> things that just, just grind you for, for no reason, you know, kind of, yeah. uh, inappropriate responses to certain triggers, right? Like right. The, the neighbors right. Dr- grass should have no, you know, <laughs> emotional baggage on you, but it does. Right. 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 Because you don't have capacity for anything. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause you're just so the tank is full on everything else. Yeah. So anything you yeah. put on top of that is just too much. Exactly. Uh, I took a, I took a crisis intervention class and mm. they were, the instructor talked about like, imagine you have a fishbowl on top of your head and everything you deal with <laughs> is a pebble inside of that fishbowl. Oh. Eventually you're going to fill that fishbowl right? and then nothing else is going to go in and then it just spills right. over. Exactly. So, exactly. So the next one, this one isn't, <laughs> I feel like I'm, playing jeopardy here this is not worded in the form of a question <laughs> okay it just it just says 80 adhd on patrol oh That's all I, got. I feel you man um so i have had adhd my whole life like literally since i was five um on, and i have never taken any adhd medication it's a challenge this goes back to resilience because so adhd is about um that it's not that you can't pay attention to something it's that you pay attention to everything and you don't know what to block out um so the the brain has a hard time focusing on things it doesn't find interesting and it has a hard time blocking out stimuli that's unuseful like something i don't need um so you got to get really good at managing the resilience factors. So what are you eating? What are you drinking? How are you sleeping? Are you getting some exercise? Are you getting relaxation? Because your body needs that support. And you need to develop some really good strategies um, to work with it. Like we can't cure it. We just got to work with it. Right. Got to learn how to roll with those punches. Right. The next one, overthinking tips and tricks. Been sleeping like shit this week, work dreams, and can't sleep solid. Oh, That's rough. I mean, whenever there's some overthinking going on, I always recommend doing a brain dump, like dumping it all out on paper, write down the things that you're ruminating about that you can't stop thinking about, write it down. If you're struggling with like a major decision, um, you know, should I buy this house or not? Should I move or not? Should I, I don't know, sign up for more overtime or not? Write it down, write down the pros and cons. So now you've put everything on paper And you tell your brain, all right, brain, it's time to sleep now. I've put all of my concerns and worries on paper. I'll pick that up again tomorrow. But right now, I need to sleep. The brain starts to entertain things that it doesn't think are resolved. And I get it's not resolved because you just put it all on paper, but it's somewhere that you can refer to later. So it's almost like you're saying, I will worry about that at three o'clock. But right now, I'm, I'm gonna sleep i feel like you know like you said journaling and things like that just such an important tool and almost you know i heard a thing about um this is it's on topic i swear (laughs) but uh, i heard a thing about like when a song gets stuck in your head right when you get like an earworm it's basically Uh. your brain unable to finish that thought process it's just that little bit of the song Uh. same thing like if you if you go through that it helps you get through it i don't know that's what i heard 
So, I don't know. I, I would love to hear more about earworms because I get them. So there's uh-huh. a little element. People with ADHD get them quite a bit. Um, and uh, people with OCD tendencies get them quite a bit. So it's, there's mm. this like stuckness. I don't know. Earworms that, are freaking weird, man. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, next one, again, <laughs> this is kind of just a vague um, vague entry. It says, best ideas to prevent suicide. Oh, my God. Well, that's, like we that's do a whole uh, hour on this whole, one. At least, at, the, at, yeah. at least an hour. My gosh. I mean, the number one is talk about it. Talk about it, talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. I, and, and, and let me... I don't know if I want to back it up and say this one instead, or this is equally as important. Make a commitment, ask your other people in your life to make a commitment that suicide will not be an option for you. Cause, cause here's the thing. I think that if, if someone were to make a commitment, suicide is not an option. Then when they feel like they're out of options, they'll have to keep digging and searching. Right. Because right now, it's like, okay, well, suicide's back there. Like, shit, it's really bad, and I really can't handle it anymore, and it's just too painful, and I just can't breathe anymore. Then I've always got that in the back of my mind. Like, that'll be my out. Because suicide is the, the only solution someone was able to land on, right? Mm-hmm. They weren't able to come up with another solution. But if they were to say, all right, well, that one is off the table. That is never going to happen. Suicide is not an option. Well, then when I feel like, gosh, I really just want to blow my brains out right now. Well, I made a commitment that suicide is not an option. So I better call someone. I better ask someone for help. I better tell someone I am struggling right now. Mm -hmm. Hey, come over and sit on me because I'm not feeling safe. I'm really having a hard time. You know, it's really good. I, um, I I took a, I took another class where it was, it was about suicide prevention and mm-hmm. it said something like that, having the, that, that disaster plan in place yes. for when things go, yes. for when things go wrong, not yep. don't set yep. it up when they go wrong, but no, for when they go before, wrong. Yeah. That's a safety plan is, is really important. And I want to say on the top of that safety plan, like just commit to suicide, not being an option, please, mm-hmm. for the love of God. Cause if you kill yourself and you take yourself out of pain, well, thanks a lot. You just passed it on to, at least 200 other people at the very right. least. Right. That's the you never average. know how many people you, you touch. Absolutely. Right. Right. Um, next question. Is it healthy to use spite to get out of bed in the morning? Sure. Why not? Anything to get out of bed. Oh, right. Whatever, whatever works. Absolutely. <laughs> sure. <laughs> better, better than being in bed all day, I guess. Absolutely. Um, next one. How do I fix my brain? Oh, that's well, that's a very broad right. question. What you do what is part? you message Dina and she will help <laughs> you fix your brain. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, well, Dr. Amen is the brain doctor. So Dr. Daniel Amen has lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of resources for fixing your brain. He is the brain guru. He comes from Southern California. He has, has a clinic here, but he has a clinic somewhere in the Midwest, I think, too. But He's nationally reputable, a lot of different books, all about the brain. I've learned so much from him um, and how many things in our life affect our brain and mm-hmm. and how to protect it, how to keep it healthy. Uh, next one. How do you break the silence about suicide? Oh, we talk about it. We talk about it. 
and we're not afraid and we don't avoid it. And I mean, it really should be a, not that it's a comfortable conversation, but not a taboo conversation. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. Bo- I've had this conversation with both of my kids um, about suicide and getting their commitment that it will not be an option for them. I committed to them. It will not be an option for me. I, I think that's how we break the silence. We just talk about it and we talk about the pain that leads to it. You know, that's the, the person who is the person who suicides is in so much pain and they're, they're struggling with all of this alone. Right. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to having those resources, having that plan, having your safety, your team. Absolutely. Um, Next one. What's the best approach to support or help someone who is not in crisis but isolating. Mm. I mean, I think first is, is a conversation. Hey, what's going on with you? I noticed that you've been isolating and, and I'm just worried. I'm just, I, I just, I care about you a lot and I'm concerned for you. And if, if that doesn't open up a conversation or pull them out, then continue to just show them your love and care. Like, Hey, I was stopping by Starbucks. What's your favorite Starbucks? Would you mind if I dropped it by? Or sending a text, hey, I just thought of you today. Or, hey, I heard I, I saw this movie and it was really good. I thought you might like it. I, I don't know. Just trying to show this person that you care about them. Isolation. I mean, maybe they just need to shut things out for a little bit. But hopefully they'll tell you that. Um, but it's likely a, that they're struggling. That's why they're isolating. What is your feeling on applications wanting to know about mental health but claim there is no stigma? What do you mean applications? Like, I, I think like hiring applications, wanting to know about your past mental health issues. Oh, oh. I mean, I mean, the question is just to see if you're going to be honest about it, number one. I mean, I, can, I don't do pre-hire psych exams, but I, my colleagues do, a couple of them. And I've heard over and over that they just want to know if you're going to be honest about it, number one. And, and if it's something that you're managing. So even medication isn't going to knock you out of, of being hired. It's, are you going to disclose it? And is it managed properly? Okay. You know? How can you find the love you once had for the job? Mm, you find search for things that you're grateful for. So find three things that you're grateful for every single day and like make a concerted effort like, I really love this new, like, weight-bearing vest. These are freaking rad. How cool is this? I'm, I'm really thankful for this. It's going to save my back. Or, man, how lucky am I that I get to pull off on the side of the road for a minute and just take a breath? Or, I don't know, like, literally search everything about your job and find something to be grateful for. Hopefully, it'll start to spark that love that you once had. Um, if nothing else, it's going to sort of drown out the negative highlights. So you're going to be, mm-hmm. cause you're going to be searching for things that you're grateful for. You won't have time to, to be focusing on what you're not grateful for, what's bothering you about it. You know, mm-hmm. and it's a little simplistic of a response, but it's a start. And it also I, kind of goes back to what we were talking about in the very beginning about, you know, at the very, at the very basic of it. Well, at least I got a paycheck and that, yeah, you right. Know, like, hey, just are go you back grateful to, for that? Right. Right. Oh, we don't uh, get paid, paid as much as NYPD. Well, then, you know, go 
well, you get paid a heck of a lot more than the guys in Kansas, you know? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, for sure. It's all, it's all, uh, it's all relative. Exactly. How to tell a spouse coming home to their lack of emotional control is draining. Well, you just tell them your lack of emotional control is draining. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> sorry. Um, I don't mean to make light of that at all. I, I, but I think, do you notice how over and over, like things involving other people involve communication? Like it takes communication. Hey, I, you know, I really want to <clears throat> share something with you. Like here's right. I'm giving you a little bit of a, of a, a sample dialogue. And here's the, the, you know, why there's this fear. So, you know, why that question, the fear is the vulnerability, right? So this person has to be vulnerable to share this and the risk associated with that vulnerability is the other person won't receive that well, but that bid for connection is that vulnerability. That's what's happening. You're, you're to talk about it is to, to send out that bid for connection, I love you and I adore you and I love our relationship and, and never a but. And I want to share something with you. I've been really struggling with, with sharing this. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I also want to tell you like how I'm experiencing this in our relationship. So, and get real clear. I'm going to give you a sentence stem. This is a good one that you can apply in lots of different areas. I feel when you, so I feel a certain way. I feel frustrated. I feel disconnected from you. I feel right. Fill it in with a feeling word. When you, this has to be an objective observation. That's very important. Nothing that can be argued. Nothing that's just your perception, an objective observation. So it would look like this. I feel frustrated when you raise your voice at me, or I feel disconnected when I see you yelling at the kids, something like that. Mm-hmm. I hope yeah. it helps. <laughs> no, it definitely does. I, I, you know, and like I said, in a few weeks, we have the, the marriage episode and mm. it comes all down to communication. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's definitely mm-hmm. important. And the last question from the viewers is managing financial stress for those of us living in high cost living areas. Oh, um, I'm with you. I'm in Southern California and I'm single. So can you imagine that right now? <clears throat> like mm-hmm. you, you, it's, it's very, very difficult. You have to budget. You have to prioritize things. So I once had a friend in college say to me, like she asked me, because I was pregnant in my senior year in college, and she said, are you going to stay home when you have your baby? I said, no, I have to work. She goes, you have to work or you want to work? I said, well, I have to work to pay bills and to you know, pay for things. And she goes, you mean you have to work to have the lifestyle you want to have? And that was the turning point for me. I recognized in that moment, it's about my choices. I can choose to stay home and limit some of these luxury lifestyle pieces, eating out or going to the movies or buying a newer car, whatever. So I recognized that in order to have the life I wanted, I needed to make some changes. Um, I choose to spend money on things that I value. So I really like cars. So I have a very nice car. Um, safety in a neighborhood is important to me. So I live in a safer neighborhood. Does it cost me more? Yes, but that's important to me. But I make my food every day. Like I 
and I hate to admit this, but I've been eating peanut butter and jelly almost every day for lunch <laughs> um, because I'm a little broke right now. <laughs> um, but it's okay. I'm okay with that. Um, I don't want to give up um, some other things. So how you deal with the financial stress is is you, you tighten the belt and you look for ways that you can um, offload some of that stress. Again, I always feel like I'm giving like a simplified answer to these complex no, no, I, issues. I don't no, definitely do at the very, very minimum, you're definitely giving some brain brain seedlings, and then I hopefully they so. take root because because I'm I'm learning a lot, so I'm sure oh, they are good. too. Yes. I hope so. Good, good. All right, Dina. I've got one last round of questions for you. This is how I've been ra- wrapping up my uh, episodes this year. It's called the Mental Minute. I'm going to hit you with a couple okay. of these questions, and okay. then we're going to get out of here. Here we go. Don't think about it too much. Just mm-hmm. give me the first answer that comes to your head kind of thing. Okay. All right, here we go. What's the last book you read recently? Um, the Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it was fantastic. Okay. <laughs> My therapist recommended light reading. I have to put that in there. Like I'm usually reading scientific stuff, but anyway. What is something you do to ground yourself? Floating. Music. What is something you do for self-care? Um, floating. Uh, <laughs> uh, walking outside in nature and looking at the, at the clouds. I like reading. Okay. Binge watching things. <laughs> What's the last <laughs> thing you binge watched? Um, oh, the Terminal List. Okay. Yeah. Is it good? Really good, yeah. Would you open an envelope with your death date written inside of it? Oh yeah, absolutely. You'd, you'd want to know. Absolutely, yeah. Yep. Would you be friends with yourself? Of course, I'm a great friend. I am <laughs> a friend of myself. I am my best friend. <laughs> Perfect. What do you want from other people? Understanding, belonging. What sort of impact are you looking to make, and mm. how will you make it? I want to alleviate suffering, and I want to. Uh, normalize the human experience. What do you think is the meaning of life? Um, love and service. How do you define the word friendship? Uh, trust, loyalty, kindness, not keeping score. That's a good one. That's important. <laughs> and the last one is how do you define the word happy and what makes you happy? Um, how do I define the word happy? Um, a sense of calm and peace, I guess. And what was the second half of that question? What makes me happy? What makes you happy? Yep. Most, most things make me happy um, because I've developed such an incredibly rich gratitude practice. Um, I can walk outside and that's what makes me happy. The first thing I do when I look at the sky, I immediately start smiling because it's just Mm -hmm. so beautiful. And I'm so grateful to have sky to look at. Well, Dina, this has been absolutely amazing. I feel like we talked about so many different topics and I really appreciate your time. Oh, my pleasure. Absolutely. If people want to get in contact with you and follow up with you or if they have their own questions that they, you know, want to ask you directly, how do they get in contact with you? Yeah, you can um, email me at copshrink911 at gmail or you can go to my Instagram page, copshrink, um, or my website, aboveboardconsulting.com probably too many options there but there you go (laughs) perfect nope that'll be great give people a couple options if they don't feel comfortable on one or the other well dina thank you so much for your time i definitely appreciate it Um, It everyone go check her out thanks a lot everyone listening stay tuned we'll be right back and dina thank you so much thank you so much 
too much I've been caught up with my friends in weeks And now we're out of touch I've been driving in LA In the world that feels too big Like a floating ball that's bound to break Snap my psyche like a drag And I just wanna see if you feel the same as me Do you ever get a little Um, one of the things that I find quite interesting, we're talking a lot about theory here, and yeah. we've got some of the lessons out of that, but moving from theory to action is the most important part. So give me yeah. some of the daily practices that you've built to instantiate these lessons. I always think when it comes to this moment, right, we have to be really honest, okay? Because I hear lots of people talking on podcasts and other places where they set unrealistic challenges for people like you and I to live with. So I would love to say I wake up every morning at 20 minutes of meditation, lemon sliced into warm water, make sure I get eight hours of sleep every night, uh, make a diary of my plan for the day, have a gratitude journal at the end of the day that I write in. I don't do any of that, Chris, right? I don't do any of that. I get out of bed knackered because I work too much and the kid's coming out of bed at night and Sebastian's like legs smash into my face. He's six years old and... Florence wakes up grumpy most of the time and then we struggle to get out of the house on time because we're doing the school run and then I feel like I have a production company in London we've got 200 staff I feel a real responsibility for looking out for them and making sure that, that business is driving forwards I've got my TV presenting work I've got the podcast stuff I've got all kinds of little bits rolling around we've got some building work going on at home at the moment I've got family and friends that I feel don't see enough of me and they let me know about that on a pretty regular basis and I don't get into the gym as often as I would like and I snack too much in the evenings which gives me belly fat which frustrates me all of that right is the truth okay but among all of that, I'm absolutely happy and calm and centered and relaxed with it all because high performance is not about chasing perfection. And I really need to make that clear because I think that we set unattainable goals for people. You know, you watch a James Bond film and you want to be James Bond. Hey guys, he's a fictional bloody character. Okay, you cannot kill 500 men armed with Uzis with one single handgun and a karate chop. Okay, that's not the way the world works. But from the high-performance conversations, the first thing that I am is constantly optimistic. Everything can be a good thing. No matter whether at the time it feels like a difficult thing, it can be a good thing. I'm an obsessive list writer. I think it's really important to write down all the things that... And I don't write lists of jobs I've got to do. I write down a list of things that I'm finding frustrating at the moment. Um, because one of the things that I really like is not taking specific action to solve those things, but I believe that by writing those things down and just knowing what they are, then the universe is going to do its bit and solve those. And I could look at everything on the list of the last five years, everything has solved itself. 
And I think it's because almost subconsciously you do the things that you need to do to solve those problems and, and to get there. So I'm an, op- I'm an obsessive list writer. I'm an absolute firm believer in not letting the shitty little things in life get you down. If something doesn't matter in five years, don't worry about it for five seconds. You stub your toe, you get a parking ticket, you lose your wallet, you spill some food down your front at a dinner, you're late for a meeting. There's no point worrying about any of those things because I tell you in five years, nobody will even remember they ever happened and you're wasting your time and you're wasting your energy. And then living in the living in the now, like being totally connected to you here. In five minutes time, I'll go in and have dinner with my kids and that is total connection to them. No mobile phones, no conversation or no thought process about what's happening later or what happened yesterday or what comes next. That is just totally invested in them. My big non-negotiable is that no matter where I am in the UK, no matter what I'm working on, I come home. I make sure I come home and I 100% do the school run. So you can hear my voice doesn't sound great. I've had three hours sleep the last two nights because I was working on the Champions League and we live a couple of hours out of London. So by the time I get home, it's two o'clock in the morning and um, and the kids wake up sometime before 6am. Um, so that has its challenges, but that's the way I want to live because I want to be present for my kids you know, in years to come, I don't want someone to say, man, I listened to your dad's podcast and I read his books. What was he like as a dad? And for them to say, didn't really see him. I want all the things that I talk about and write about and believe in for them to get the real genuine experience of that. Not the words aren't good enough. They have to feel it from me every single day. Um, and just learning, learning all the time to remember to be grateful for all the things in my life. And Sometimes I just get that moment where a huge smile comes across my face and I just think, I just it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous, my life and the things that are going on and the things that I'm doing. And actually, lots of people should feel the same, but lots of people don't feel the same. They don't practice gratitude and gratitude, I think, is like a muscle. I do think you have to work at it. I do think you have to exercise it. Um, and then it comes naturally. My tip for that, for, for anyone that um, struggles with that, it really starts with self-talk. It starts with being positive. So every time a negative thought comes into your head, stop that negative thought and just replace it instantly with five good things. Just five things that are great. And they don't have to be massive things. So that's Jay Humphreys on Chris Williamson's show, the Modern Wisdom Podcast, episode 408. One of my favorite podcast episodes ever right there. And I've played it before. I've shared it with you guys. I've actually contacted both those gentlemen to be on this show. No luck yet, but fingers crossed one day, uh, one or both of them will be on this show. I've brought this up before. You look at people like Jocko, like Goggins, Rogan, um, pick, pick your spiritual leader, right? I know Mark Wahlberg, The Rock, they've been posting a lot recently. You know, getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning, hitting the gym, uh, eating X amount of calories a day. Then they do this. They meditate. They go to work, blah, blah, blah. I don't don't know how to make this more clear, but those guys are paid a lot of money to live that life, right? That is their business. They are selling. Each one of those men... And those are those are men. Those are the ones that I'm familiar with. So you know, there's, I'm sure there are female versions of that. I, I just I'm I'm not aware. But the point is, and they're examples. The point is, they are paid to do that. That's their business. You know, they they all have uh, supplements and pre workouts and exercise gear and stakes in gyms and shit like that. They all have that. That is their brand. That's what they're getting some money and kickback from. 
right? And but beyond that, you know, they don't have a normal job like we do. They don't, you know what I mean? They have different ways. Like the Rock is professionally paid to eat and work out because that is him. That's his job. Our our jobs do not do that. I mean, maybe some of you have some luxury. The point is talking about being a high performance um individual you got to break it down to the actual basics in a few weeks we are going to have adam from police posts and the uh effective training group come on and we are going to be talking about how to become a true high performance individual uh he was on last year and we had a very similar conversation about being high performance in the line of police work but we need to focus on what is actually possible. And, you know, the thing that he says, uh, Jake Humphrey says in the beginning of the conversation is, you know, the stuff that is told to you by all these influencers is just nonsense. The stuff that comes up on podcasts is out of, it's unattainable. It's not what the average person, the normal person can do. It's just not even Jake. He works, you know, for the BBC and all these different things. He travels to London. You know, he is a very successful a wealthy individual who's made his money and his business on these different things. So even his life, while you know it is difficult in a in some way, it is not prototypical. It's not average for the average Joe. You got to scale everything with that in mind. So as we talked to Dina, as we thought about what possible burnout factors we're having, we really need to find the small things, and get pleasure out of them. That being said, guys, there are plenty of things that you can be grateful for. And that's what I really want you guys to take away from this episode is gratitude and finding the small things in your life for you to enjoy. A lot of the things Dina said actually reminded me of an episode from last season we had with Amy Beckler talking about really cherishing sunshine, you know, walking your dog, sounds, tastes, smells, simple things, kind of hippy dippy, but really we need to take time and really be present in what we are doing in our daily lives. So that's really what I'm going to leave you with guys is just be grateful. Uh, if you can do a gratitude journal, that's great. I have one. Honestly, I, I suck at keeping up with it, but I do want to focus on it. I just, I have yet to really build that routine. So maybe one day, maybe not. We'll see. Next week, folks, we've got a whole lot going on. Monday, we have Punk Rock Cops Episode 4. Punk Rock Cops go to the movies. That's going to be great. And then on Thursday, we have Being a Lighthouse with the guys from the Hero Now podcast. Uh, that's a little spicy one. Um, you know, so I'm kind of looking forward to that. I am looking for that, forward to that one. Kyle and Nick from Hero Now. And we're going to be tackling a lot of issues. That's another long episode. It's actually a dual release. That's going to come out on Thanksgiving. So while you guys are stuffing your face with turkey, check out that episode. Uh, Or as you're driving to the in-laws, whatever it might be, check out that episode. It's going to be a spicy one. You're going to like it. And, of course, Punk Rock Cops go to the movies on Monday. And then the following week we have um, another special episode, uh, The Jersey Boys. We just keep rolling, guys. We keep it going. Check out the Instagram at 108 underscore memes. Check us out on Facebook, 108 memes. We are on Twitter at 108 underscore ENT. We are on Truth Social. What else are we on? I think that's all. We're on YouTube. I'm working on that one. That's a little bit more difficult because I don't have the time to really go through and do the stuff I want to do for that. 
bunch of stuff for you to check out. We have a Spotify playlist for music, as does the Punk Rock Cops. They have one for, I think, every episode that they talk about. I've got merch10-8-memes.ecwid.com. If you order by, uh, I want to say, the second week of December, it will get there in time for Christmas. Hopefully, we'll have a special, very limited edition Christmas ornament brought to you by the people here at 108, which is me and Mrs. 108. And that's it, folks. Hopefully, you guys have a great weekend and a great week and a great whenever you're listening to this. And we will talk to you next week. Until then, folks, take care of each other. Stay safe. 108, out. Time before it's flat life, vital signs.